If you like Data Science at Home podcast, you should check out the Transatlantic Cable podcast from Kaspersky Lab. They condense the most interesting InfoSec and cybersecurity news in 20 minutes or less. Check it out and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. Here's your host, Francesco Cadaletta. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning easy for everyone. In this episode, I want to speak about something that is extremely useful when you're dealing with machine learning models, that is uncertainty. Now, it is very difficult to estimate uncertainty because most of the time this metric has to be part of the model by design. And many times this is not the case, except for very few cases in which, for example, uh, with Bayesian statistics, um, calculating uncertainty comes uh, by design. In most of the practical use cases, data scientists are usually satisfied by machine learning models that simply perform predictions, which means that given some unseen observations X, a model performs a certain prediction, and then we get a certain Y hat, or the so-called the outcome, the predicted outcome. And uh, at the end of the day, what really matters to many people, to the majority in fact, is that the performance of such a model is assessed by comparing the predicted values, or what the model is telling us the, the answer is, compared with what the ground truth is. Of course, this is possible when the ground truth is available. Of course, there is another measure, which is indeed uncertainty, that is very interesting to measure for several reasons, especially those uh, few cases when where the machine learning model is giving support, decision support to, for example, an agent. It can be an artificial agent, think about reinforcement learning, and so this agent eventually takes the prediction of a certain neural network or model and performs a certain action in, in the environment, in the world, in the artificial world where that agent exists. But of course this could also be useful for a human agent who simply reads the prediction from that model and of course in addition to the, uh, you know, the, the raw value, the, the, the raw prediction that the model uh, performs, a human would also like to know if the model is really sure about that prediction, if there is a lot of uncertainty around that specific example or not. Of course, when you deal with very large data sets, uh, it is very common to have some aspects of the data set that are learned much faster and much better with respect to some others. This pretty much depends on the geometry of the training data set. There are some data sets that are very difficult to learn, very difficult to find patterns because they're very complex patterns, for example, or very non-linear patterns. And some other parts of the data, usually the linear aspects of the data, are learned much, much faster and much, much better with, with a very small error from the, uh, from the same model. Of course, knowing where the model is not really uh, you know, sure about that prediction is really important and it might come very useful. Statisticians know the problem of uncertainty very well. For example, Bayesian statisticians, much more specifically than with respect to others, 
know that the Bayesian framework is a very solid framework to natively reason about uncertainty. Because in fact, in a Bayesian neural network, for example, but of course we can think of Bayesian models in general, uh, we have the weights of the model, so the parameters of the model, that are not really unique values. You know, these are these, the statistical distributions uh, rather than constant values. Uh, in the same happens for, uh, for the predictions, right? In, in the Bayesian framework, the prediction of a certain model is not a constant value, so the y hat that we are usually uh, dealing with, but it's a distribution of y hats, okay? And this means that on, you know, with a within a Bayesian framework, we can basically have uh, the shapes, the densities, we can have standard deviations, we can have uh, means, statistical properties about the parameters of the model, but also about the um, outcome, the predicted values. I'm a fan of Bayesian statistics, of course, as I've been uh, re writing and, and speaking on different episodes and different posts on uh, amethics.com. But at the end of the day, it is very, you know, quite rare, not very rare, but quite rare to find a Bayesian equivalent in the real world, especially for those cases where the, uh, you know, the dimensionality of the problem is pretty high. The problem with Bayesian statistics and Bayesian models in general is that we don't have an optimization in the same way that we have for traditional models, but we have uh, the so-called sampling, and that's probably the most time-consuming part of a Bayesian uh, training. There is a theoretical framework that has been proposed by Yarin Gall and, uh, and others uh, who leverage model dropout as a tool to evaluate how uncertain a model is with respect to a certain observed sample. This is a very interesting point because, in fact, they leverage a very simple component of, uh, of the training process of a neural network, but again, this can be generalized to many other models, and, um, uh, and, and it is, this is very interesting because it's very simple uh, to, to adopt and to, you know, without changing completely the architecture of your model and without uh, consistently changing your, your machine learning pipeline, uh, everything is almost native, almost by default. So what is the dropout? Well, model dropout, probably many of you already know what dropout is, specific to the neural, uh, to the neural network use case, the model dropout consists in randomly disconnecting some connections in the layers of a neural network. And this is usually a, you know, a strategy to, uh, to increase generalization of the model and also to mitigate overfitting. In fact, by randomly switching off some connections in a neural network, the same model tends to unlearn some patterns that are only specific of the training set. For example, because there are too many outliers or because there's noise. And so such patterns are usually not present in the testing set. And so it's, it would be extremely interesting to unlearn these parameters, uh, sorry, these, uh, these patterns that exist only in the training set and not in the testing set. Because if the model learns these extremely complex patterns that only exist in the training set, this means that that model will not generalize well. On data that are different from the training data set. Now, in deep learning, practitioners set dropout rates between 20 and 50 percent. It depends on the on the data, it depends on the architecture of, of the network, of course, 
Uh, and this means that, for example, in the case of 50%, this means that up to half of the connections in a certain layer of the network will be set to zero during inference. Now, this mechanism forces the backpropagation method to tune parameters in the other layers such that the whole network can kind of cope with the dropped rate of connections. The key finding consists in the fact that a neural network with dropout applied before every weight layer is mathematically equivalent to an approximation to the probabilistic deep Gaussian process. Now, in this episode, I will not go into the details of what a Gaussian process is, but there is a nice post that I wrote on amethics.com and that I will add to the show notes of this episode, in which there is a very interesting explanation of how, uh, first of all, what a Gaussian process is and uh, how close it is to the interpretation of using model dropout as an approximation to this probabilistic deep Gaussian process and how, of course, it can help in providing a measure of uncertainty. In the same post, I also added a very short neural network. It's a, a two-layer stacked LSTM. LSTM stands for Long Short-Term Memory Network. These are the typical networks used for sequence data. For example, in NLP, LSTMs are used for uh, machine translation, but they can also be very useful for time series analysis and many other use cases. And of course, this method can be um, generalized to convolutional neural networks rather than sequential networks or mixed networks. It really doesn't matter because the dropout layer can be added as indeed uh, to any layer uh, as an additional layer to the uh, existing network. I provide an example in written in Keras, which is a very interesting library, very you know quick and dirty way to prototype neural networks and see at least if they do the job correctly. And then eventually you can think about optimizing that architecture once you are familiar with you know the error loss and all these things, all the metrics that you achieved with with that specific architecture then you can eventually decide to rewrite that network in tensorflow framework or in pytorch or whatever library of your choice but keras is very interesting library to prototype things and uh, indeed to prototype this idea of the dropout layer i used keras as well and also the source code of this lstm network with dropout has been added to the blog post now, one thing that is very interesting to notice is that once the network is used in inference mode, which means once the network is used to perform predictions on a certain input data, uh, well, that prediction has to be performed a number of times. Because every time that the network is performing a prediction, uh, a new configuration of the dropout layers will be chosen. And this means that I need to sample kind of you know, to repeat the prediction on the same input data a number of times in order for the network, you know, in this case, the Keras framework, to change the configuration of the dropout and see what is the answer of the network in that specific case. Now, of course, once I make a prediction, for example, 100 times, I will have 100 different predictions. And the mean of all these predictions, it will be basically the prediction that I will consider as the final prediction. Now, in addition to the mean of all the predictions available, I will also have, uh, for example, the standard deviation of all these predictions. 
And this standard deviation, as many statisticians uh, can tell, uh, can be used to understand what is the spread among all these predictions and see if indeed the network is certain about the specific prediction or not. If the spread is too high, this means that by changing slightly the configuration of the dropout, or randomly the configuration of the dropout, the network starts to diverge, which means that the prediction starts to diverge from the mean. In contrast, if the spread is very small, this means that almost all the predictions will be around a very constant point or kind of constant point and therefore the standard deviation will be pretty small which which is the equivalent of saying i'm quite certain that the prediction for that specific x is that constant value of course not all methods come without drawbacks one specific drawback of um, of the dropout approach is that uh, well, there is a very challenging task to, to perform, which is empirically estimating the dropout rate, and which pretty much depends on the geometry of the training data. And so it becomes very, very uh, challenging and very difficult to know in advance what would the dropout rate be. A low dropout rate might lead indeed to models that have very little difference in their configurations giving, of course, very similar results and very low variance. Such a result, of course, might be misinterpreted as, wow, the model shows very high confidence with that particular prediction because indeed we have small variance, hence small uncertainty. And that's not true because it's simply that the dropout rate is so low that the network doesn't have a lot of space to change the configuration of the dropout. And therefore, of course, all the networks, all this ensemble of networks will be basically the same. In contrast, a dropout rate that is too high might lead to inaccurate predictions because there is a low number of available connections or available neurons during backpropagation. So as in many other models, the dropout rate should be chosen appropriately by trial and error, and most of the time this depends on the data. So know your data first, and then know what the model is telling about the data via dropout. Thanks for listening. This was Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. If you like the show, don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. You can also find us on datascienceathome.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and get the latest updates. Thanks for listening.